you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. Well, good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. I pray you're all blessed. It's finally feeling like maybe, maybe, just maybe, winter will end someday. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not making any guarantees, but uh, it's starting to feel that way, and that makes me happy. Anybody else ready for snow to be done? Yeah. I am am done. I think I was done the first day it fell, actually. Um, it's great if it's at Christmas. It's not so great when it's at Easter. So um, just saying, just throwing that out there. Um, well, my name is Mark. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here, and we are honored and blessed, excited that you are here with us this morning. Um, we're in a series, as you could probably guess from that video called That You May Believe, looking at journeying through, studying through the Gospel of John. We're about halfway through the second chapter. Uh, we've, we've dedicated as a church at least a couple of years to make it through this book, and we're we're pumped that you're here with us. This is a an amazing book, the Gospel of John. Uh, in, in, in toward its end, its author, who we believe is a guy named John, that's why we call it the Gospel of John. Um, he tells us why he wrote the book. He didn't write it to be some religious text to be put behind glass and 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 you know just sort of revered. He didn't write it for intellectual people. He didn't write it so that he could prove some sort of historical reality. No, he tells us that he wrote his gospel so that we, you and I, might come to believe that Jesus really is who he says he is. And so if you're here this morning and you're maybe exploring this whole idea of church and Jesus and faith, well, this is a great time to be a part because this book is written just so that you can know who Jesus really is. Amen? So if, if, if you've got a Bible or one of those uh, glowing rectangles in your pocket, if you want to go ahead and jump to John chapter 2, uh, verse, I believe, 13. John chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to get right into the Word. We've got a lot to cover this morning. And once you get your, your Bibles, your books, your tablets out, will you go ahead and stand to your feet so we can read God's Word together? Uh, We don't stand to be religious or to be weird or to make you uncomfortable. We stand because we believe that what we're about to hear, come on, is the living, breathing Word of God. Come on, do you believe the Word this morning? Amen. We believe the Word. We we know that much will be said this morning. (laughs) Come on, it's me. Much will be said this morning, but, uh, but we know what's about to be read, what's about to be spoken is the very Word of God. So here we come to John chapter 2, verse 13. It says, the Passover over of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? 
Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him for he himself knew what was in man. Church, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Jesus, we thank you this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. We ask that you would come and breathe life upon what we have just read. God, that your goodness and your mercy would be manifest in this place. God, by revealing to us what it is that you've hidden in your word, let everything that is about to be spoken be found, rooted, grounded, and mined from your word. Holy Spirit, breathe life upon it that it might come alive in our hearing, that we might respond to what it is that we hear and receive from you, that your word would be the very instrument, the very agent that would, would, would cause the transformation of our thinking, the elevation of the process by which we, we perceive and, 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 and understand the world around us. God, let your word and your word alone be the filter through which we process life. God, that we might know the deepest joy that comes from being in your presence and that we might glorify you there, that you might be lifted high in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Come on, go ahead and high-five some people and go ahead and grab a seat. Awesome. Well, we're, 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 we're in this book, we're in this study. I hope you're taking notes, following along. If you are, uh, I'm going to be speaking under the heading this morning, How Dare He? How Dare He? Last week, we, we looked really uh, primarily at the first portion of this story about what Jesus did, and, and very quickly uh, to review <clears throat> what, what Jesus does in his uh, in his actions in cleansing the temple, Jesus did, we saw this last week, primarily four things. He demands their attention, he demonstrates his authority, he destroys their alienation, and he displays his affection. That's what Jesus is doing in the midst of, of this. He, he, he demands their attention. He, he does this amazingly. It's, it's absolutely profound to me. We, we talked about this last week. I'm not gonna go back into it fully, but uh, this is the temple. Uh, well, not really. This is an artist's digital representation of what we think the temple might have looked like. There, did I hedge myself enough on that? Um, it, it was a massive complex. And at this time, we talked about last week, there was probably, estimates are, between one and two million people for Passover crammed into that space. And most of them at this time of the day would have been in the temple. Hundreds of thousands, probably, of people in the temple, crammed in there together, and one guy without a megaphone, an army, or, or any kind of amplification gets all of their attention and drives all of them out. How many of you think that was a miracle? It's 
absolutely amazing. He, he demands their attention. He, he demonstrates authority. What he's showing them is he is God. There's no way he could do this if he wasn't who he said he was. It's just impossible. There's no, there's no possible way he could do that. I, I, I pointed out last week, one of the amazing things to me about how he did this was that despite the fact that he has a whip, despite the fact that there are oxen, come on, with horns, despite the fact that there's a giant crowd of people, we have no record in this text or any historical text that anyone got hurt. So while absolutely he is forcibly removing them, he's doing it by his authority, not by some sort of strong arm power. He destroys their alienation. They did not realize that what they were doing was actually keeping them from him. By going through this whole religious system and structure of, of buying and selling and trading, they'd, they'd taken their eyes off of the whole point and he comes and he removes, he destroys. Come on, somebody, all of that. And all of this, and I wanna stress this the strongest I can, all of this was a demonstration of his love. He loved them too much to leave them where they were. I, I thought about this actually this week as I was pondering this text. If you've studied history much, you know just how the theological term is jacked up the world was at this time, especially the Roman world. The, the Roman world at this time would have made Vegas look like a church camp. It was absolutely jacked up. The, the world was, was utterly messed up. I can't even talk to you in detail about the horrific things that were done openly in public at this time. Sexual perversion, murder, pillaging, violence, animal sacrifice. It was, it was not a fun place to be. And, and the interesting thing to me is Jesus doesn't go to any of those places. Why? Because he goes to his own. Because the act that he was doing was an act of love for those that belonged to him. So this is what we saw last week. And so, so we see this. Jesus, Jesus does all of this. And my, my question then becomes, how do they respond how do they respond? This, this absolutely magnificent display of his authority and his power and his love, they must have just fallen at his feet and worshiped him. Not so much. Jesus' actions are deemed unacceptable. Unacceptable. They, they respond to Jesus by, by saying, you, you're not allowed. He, he comes and he does the unexpected, and they say that's unacceptable. You, you can't do that. That doesn't fit our mold of how somebody should behave here. This, this just, you're being a little too wild, Jesus. It's not the way we do things. And I want to point out again another thing that I'm going to be honest with you. You probably didn't miss this because you're way smarter than me. I miss this every time I've read this. I missed one tiny little detail. I always read this, and here's what I saw. The, the, I saw Jesus comes in, he chases everybody out, he commands everybody's authority, he, he cleanses the temple, and then here's what I heard. Did you hear this? The Jewish leaders come to him and they talk to him about it. But did you catch that that's not what the text says? The Jews, it says. That's not being anti-Semitic. That's the people of God come to him. It's everybody there comes to him. See, it's not just those who run the system. See, we often like to blame the system. We often like to blame the man. We often like to blame those in power, but the reality is everybody involved in this system comes to him and says, you can't do that. See, any allegiance you have to anything other than Jesus for your security, identity, or purpose is ultimately gonna lead you into a place of blindness in your eyes and, and binding in your heart from being able to see and savor just how good God is. 
because they they because these people had an allegiance to this system because they liked this system they were offended when Jesus comes in when God moves in and demolishes the system because they they liked it we like the cages we build for ourselves we like the the insulation we put between us and God when Jesus steps in, and, and I, I love the way he doesn't ask for their permission or their consent. He doesn't go to the religious leaders. He's like, hey, by the way, um, this is all pretty jacked up. So if you don't mind, went ahead and made a whip. Going to go ahead and take care of this. Thanks. He doesn't go around to the money changers and say, you know, you really should rethink your life decisions. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something out there just, just by way of, of tensioning this a little bit. Uh, if you go back in, into another gospel, into the gospel of Luke, which was written uh, f- so we could have a chronological account of the life of Jesus. It's the only gospel in which we find Jesus outside of his adult life and his, his, his birth narrative. In, in the gospel of Luke, in, gospel, in Luke chapter 2, we have this little moment where we get to see Jesus at 12 years old. And in that, we find him in the temple. And in the temple, we, we find him, the, the, the text says he's either, some translations say debating with, other, others say he was questioning the, those in leadership. And here's the thing I have to kind of help you understand. In our culture, students ask questions, right? We don't understand things, so we ask questions. First century Hebrew culture, teachers ask the questions. That was the way they, they, they taught people. They would ask a question and expect the students to work it out and process it out. So what Jesus was doing in the temple was not being a student, he was being a teacher at 12 years old. Why do I bring that up? I think, just my theory, just my theory, you don't have to believe it if you don't want to, that's fine. I think he was talking to him about all this junk. Would have been about 15 or 20 years earlier, they would have still been selling, money changers still been selling. Why do I think that? Why do I think Jesus went there and was questioning, was trying to get them to see the error in their ways? Because according to Amos, God does nothing without first speaking it through a prophet. See, God always speaks before he acts, but we also need to understand that God always acts on what he speaks. And I think Jesus had already warned them. He'd already told them, like, this this is not the right way to do this. And now he comes in force. Now he speaks. Then he spoke. Now he comes in force. And they're angry because of his actions. They are blind to the corruption that they brought into the temple. They don't see it. They're blind to it. They don't understand how all these things that they put together and put up, they think they're doing good. Do you get that? And of course, they've got a good argument. Well, hey, you know, people need, they need to exchange their money. We're just helping exchange their money. We're just, we're, we're serving them. We're serving the people. It's a good thing. Isn't this a good thing? You know, they can't bring their own animals to sacrifice, so we'll sell them some animals here and make it more convenient for them. Forget about the fact that nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say that your sacrifice should be convenient. (laughs) They're justifying and justifying and justifying, and the reality is, listen to me, church, we do the same thing. We justify all of our little side projects and all the other things that steal our attention, our affection, our allegiance, we, we, we align ourselves, well, no, I'm, I'm really, these are all good. There's nothing wrong with this. It's all fine. And Jesus comes in and says, it's not, it's, it's not fine. Not for my people. Not in my temple. 
because they miss the point, they miss their opportunity. Because they missed the point. They missed the point of what he was doing. All they saw was was he destroyed some stuff and he disappointed us. We came here to go through these motions. We came here to kind of walk through all of this. Imagine, I imagine there's a, there's a mom and a dad who are bringing their kids for the first time to Passover and they were so excited to get to, this is how we exchange our money. We get some temple money for it and then we go and we, you know, we, we buy a pigeon or maybe this year God was good to us in face. So we get to buy a sheep because pigeons suck. They're gross. They're rats with wings. But, but sheep are pretty. So they had this whole expectation of what was going to get to happen. And then Jesus comes and wrecks all of it. Why? Because it was never about the money. It was never about your sacrifice. It was about meeting with him. And this breaks my heart when when we realize this, that here they supposedly are coming to the temple to meet with God. And when God stands in front of them, they're offended by how he showed up. And they're angry because their idea of what church was going to be was messed up. Their preferences were not honored by God. Newsflash, beloved, God never honors your preferences. You want to know why? It's really simple. He's God. You're not. Hierarchy. I know we don't like that today because everyone's equal and everyone's the same. And They missed the whole point. They're offended and they're disappointed and God himself is standing in front of them. In the place that is set aside to meet with God, they're angry at how God is acting. And so they missed that it was even him. Though they claimed to be there for that reason, they missed it. Where have we missed God? Hear me, please. Where have we missed what God is doing in our lives because he's not acting the way we want him to act? Where are we saying, where where were you, God, when? Why didn't you? How Could, how dare you do that? I'm gonna say it this way. Because they could not handle his love, they questioned his goodness. When we can't handle the way God loves us, we start questioning his goodness. When God loves you enough to put you through a process, come on somebody, to transform you, not just outwardly, but inwardly. When he, when he, in his goodness, in his love, puts you through something so that you can discover a little bit more, come on, about who you are in him, about who he is in you. When you can't handle that kind of love, you start to say, well, God can't be good. If God was good, then she wouldn't have died. If God was good, I wouldn't have lost the job. If God was good, I wouldn't be sick. If God was good, I would have more money. If God was good, I would have more friends. If God was good, my wife would have a better looking husband. The reality is you're not questioning his goodness. You're questioning his, you can't handle his love. You want him to love you the way you love people. And see, God doesn't love us the way we love each other. Because there's no selfishness or greed in God's love. I used to say it this way. God cares more about your destiny than he does your day. If he's got to put you through some bad days to get you where he's designed you to be, he's more than okay with putting you through some bad days. This doesn't sell books, though. That's the problem, right? Like, 
that's never going to be like the number one bestseller in the Christian book chart. It's like, have a horrible season because God loves you. It's like, but it's his love. Do you, do, it, it's hard for us, and it's okay that it's hard for us. It's okay that it's hard for us to see his love at the end of a whip. But it was his love at the end of that whip. This was not, and this is why it was so important to me last week that you see this, this was not Jesus flying off the handle. I pointed this out last week. The, the, the text says he made, which literally means he formed and fashioned a whip out of cords. He did not bust a chair leg off and just start beating people with it, which is probably what I would do if I was Jesus, which is a good reason, reason number 497, good reason why I'm not Jesus, right? No, he, he, this, is, this is his love at work. This is his affection at work. This is a word we don't like, a word we don't like. Here it is, his jealousy. See, because our jealousy is jacked up. His is not. His jealousy is for you, not against you. Because they could not handle his love, they questioned his goodness. Don't be offended by his goodness and by his love. I was thinking about this this week, and I was reminded of one of the parables that Jesus told in Matthew. Maybe you remember this parable. The parable goes that, that there was a, a, a guy who had a field, and he needed some workers to work in his field. So he went down into town, and he found some workers, and he said, hey, come and work in my field all day, and I'll give you a certain amount of money. And then, you know, there was so much work to do, he went and found more people and later on in the day and said, hey, come on, come on and work in my field. And I'll, he, this is what he says, I'll pay you what's fair. So they came in and they worked. They found more people later, said, why aren't you working? They said, no one's coming and giving us a job. Well, come work in my field and I'll pay you what's fair. And then at the very end of the day, he found some more people there and he said, why aren't you working? Well, no one ever hired us. He said, well, come on, come and work in my field and I'll pay you what's fair. And then what, what, what the story tells us is at the end of the day, he lines all of the workers up and he starts with the guys that he hired at the last hour of the day. And he pays them the amount, the full amount that he promised the guys that started at the beginning of the day. One denarius, one day's wage, one working man's day's wage. He pays them. And the Bible says that the guys at the end of the line, the guys that have worked all day got real excited. Because they're like, dude, if he paid those guys and they worked one hour, oh baby, we're gonna get like that plus some donuts. It's gonna be good. And the Bible tells us this, that he gets down and he pays all of them the same. And uh, because all of us deep down inside aren't really communist, they get really angry. <laughs> right? They get like, they like lose it. And, 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 and it's amazing the response of the master. And, and here, here's what he says. He says, don't be angry because I'm generous or is your eye evil because I'm good? Is your eye evil because I'm good? See, the way you see things is determined by what kind of perception you have. See, I think this is what's going on in the temple. I think their eyes were incapable of seeing his goodness. Are your eyes evil because I'm good? 
are you, are you missing what God's doing because of an inability to see properly? What gives you the right to do this? He's good. That's what gives him the right. He's always, constantly, forever good. The theological term there, for reals this time, is immutable. He's immutably good. It means he is good and he can't do anything that isn't good. He can never be anything other than good. That's it. When he's, when he's holding a whip and chasing you out of the place you want to be, he's good. When, when he's flipping over your table, he's good. When he's pouring out your money onto the ground, he's good. When he's... When he's not answering your prayer the way you want him to, he's good. When he's, when he's allowing you, when he's allowing you to walk with him through disappointment, he's good. When it doesn't work out, he's good. When they leave, he's good. When they hurt you, he's good. You say, well, if he's, in all, if he's all controlling, then he can't be all good. No, he's good. He's good. He's good. Don't let your eye be evil because he's good. Don't let your eye be evil because he's good. So other people are getting what they prayed for and I'm not getting what I pr-. He's good. I did it right. I followed the rules and it didn't work. They didn't follow the rules and it's working. How can, he's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's always good. There's, n- there's never the capacity for him to not be good. So our cry, our prayer, our hearts ought to be, Lord, show me. Give me eyes to see your goodness in this. I'm not asking you to pretend like everything's great. I'm saying press into him because ultimately, always he's good. What gives you the right? He's God, that's what gives him the right. What they're really trying to do is they're trying to get him to, to, to engage in the system that he's destroying. Hey, hey, the, the rule is, if you're gonna come in here and flip over tables, you gotta do a show first. You gotta like pull a rabbit out of a hat or do something. You can't just come in here and flip over tables. Not cool, Jesus. And I love, I love Jesus. That hopefully is something you understand. But I love Jesus, and I love the way he responds because Jesus won't engage in their system. This is another one of those times when, when they ask a question, and Jesus just seems to ignore their question. It's like, what, what sign will you give us that prove that you could do this? He's like, well, you go ahead and tear this temple down. Right? Do you remember the structure I showed you? Like, that's his answer. Like, go ahead and tear the temple down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they, they sort of, you got to understand, they, 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 they sort of are jabbing at him here because how many of you know what Jesus did for a living prior to becoming a rabbi? Right, so here's the problem. There's not a whole lot of trees in that part of the world. So our translation of carpenter is actually a poor translation of what Jesus did. He was a construction worker. He, he, was, he was most likely a stonemason. So that, that you, you get now where their misunderstanding comes in. 
they've got a construction worker standing in front of them, and he says, tear this temple down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, dude, you might be good. I mean, I don't know about you. I think Jesus was probably a pretty good construction worker, seeing as, you know, he made that, um, that one thing, everything. Yeah, seeing as, like, he did that. Pretty sure he was pretty good at making, like, houses and stuff. And they're like, listen, you, you might be great at building, but there's no, this took, this took people decades to build. And once again, he's trying to show them, you are missing the point. You're missing the point. That's not the point. That's not what's going on here. He won't engage in their little box. I, I think we like to put God in boxes, and God really likes to break our little boxes. And then we, but here's the problem. We get offended when he breaks the box that we put him in. How often have we rejected God's work in our life because it does not fit our construct, even when the way he acts is in alignment with Scripture? Am I the only one who's figured out that God does not behave the way you think he's going to behave? Like, he just, he, just, he just does not fit into my little, not, not the cultural boxes I have for him. Well, God wants me to be safe. Really? Does he? We like that one in the church a lot, don't we? The bumper sticker, the safest place to be. It's the center of God's will. I imagine John the Baptist had that tattooed on his chest. I imagine that bumper sticker was probably in Paul's mind as they hurled rocks at his head. As he was beaten with rods, he's like, safest place to be. Center of God's will. As Stephen is preaching the gospel and they're stoning him to death, he's like, man, this is so safe. So glad I'm in God's will. It's just not in the scriptures. Well, God is loving, so he has to be nice. Loving does not equal nice. Never has, ever. God says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength so I can win the football game, right? No, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength means you can lose the football game through Christ who gives you strength. Here's an uplifting, here's an uplifting thought. You can miss rent through Christ who gives you strength. No one ever amens at that one. No one ever. No one's ever like, yeah! You can lose your car through Christ who gives you strength. Here's one that's not funny at all. You can die of cancer through Christ who gives you strength. You can be healed of cancer through Christ who gives you strength. You can walk in joy through Christ who gives you strength. You can walk through depression through Christ who gives you strength. See, we don't like that part of all, do we? No, win the football game. Come on, touchdown. It's touchdowns in football, right? <laughs> I was seriously, for a second, I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that was right. Pretty sure. <clears throat> Jesus doesn't respond like they want him to. He never does. He never does. They question what he did. I love this. But he tells them what he's doing. That, that might seem trite, but there's a huge difference in what God did and what he's doing. One focuses on the immediate. The other focuses on the ultimate. See, what he says is, no, you, you don't understand. I'm not talking about this temple. I'm talking about me. You're going to destroy the real temple, the point of the whole temple. You're going to destroy it, 
and because you actually can't destroy it, I'm gonna come back in three days. See, that we get hung up on God, why did you do this? And God says, will you come up here and so I can show you what I'm doing? So much of our worry, come on, and our anxiety, I'm preaching to myself this morning, so much of our worry and our anxiety and our stress and our striving and our fighting and our arguing is because we're so focused on what he's doing, what he did, that we forget what he's doing. Let's use the, the words of John the Beloved in Revelation here for a second, where, where an angel comes to me and he says, come up here and I will show you what must take place. I, I think what Jesus is trying to do in saying, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days, he's trying to pull up their eyes a little bit and say, you're angry because you're not gonna make a lot of money this season. I'm about to save your soul. And if God, the scriptures tell us, is able, come on, to redeem your soul, how much more will he provide all that you have need of? You see, the problem is your idea and my idea of need and his idea of need, not at all the same. I think I need to win the football game. By the way, I never won any football game ever. Like ever. They question what he did. He tells them what he's doing. Now, what I'm trying to say is this. Don't let the pain of disappointment stop you from walking into what God designed you to walk into. The pain that you're walking through, please hear me, is not for no reason. That's a double negative. It's not for no reason. I grew up in Texas, can you tell? In him, in him, when you press yourself into him, you find out that your pain had a purpose. Every tear you cried. Do you know the Bible tells us that every tear you've ever cried, he is storing up in heaven? He doesn't put you through pain just, just, just so he can put you through pain. He doesn't put you through pain alone. He is with you. He promised never to leave you or forsake you. Ever. As you walk through pain with him, it, it frees you and qualifies you and positions you to be with him. See, I think there are things, I wish I could just do this with you over coffee, but I'm here right now, so this is where we're gonna do it. I believe with every fiber of my being that there are prayers that you are praying right now and you are angry at God for not answering them, but the reality is you are unwilling to walk through what he's asking you to walk through so that you can see the answer to the prayer that you're praying. And God loves you enough that he made a plan before the foundations of the world included you in that plan and he's not going to fulfill that plan apart from you. He could, make no mistake, because he's God. But he chooses in his love, in his, come on, goodness to make a place for you in the fulfillment of his purpose in the earth. If that doesn't give you some idea of the love, and I'm gonna use a word that might be a little weird for you, respect that he has for you as his son, I don't know what's going to do it. But because we're afraid of the pain that walking through that's going to cause, we get angry that he won't answer the prayer. Do you see how this cycle just feeds itself? And he's saying there's, there's purpose in that pain. 
I'm not putting you through it for no reason. I'm not putting you through it alone. I'm with you in the midst of it. I, I see this in the text because who drove out the money changers? Who drove out the, the, the cattle and, the, and those selling? Jesus. He didn't go to his disciples and be like, all right, boys, here we go. I mean, we all know, right? Let's just be real. We know another miracle. I didn't talk about last week because I don't have time, but let's chase this rabbit real fast. Uh, another miracle that I think happened is Peter didn't kill anybody. Because <laughs> you know Peter was packing, right? Like, you know he was. He had his concealed carry permit. He had his sword. And Jesus pulls out a whip. And you know Peter's like, woohoo! And it was just... My personal theory, got nothing to back this up, he translated him somewhere else because that's the only answer. Like Jesus, Peter's just all of a sudden whacking an olive tree. Like what happened? And then zipped him back. That's just, I can't prove it, but you can't prove it didn't happen. So that's a miracle, right? Because you know he was, Peter was Republican. You know he was. So it's just, it's just what happened. So that's Mark, M-A-R-K, at sozospokane.org. <laughs> Speaking of Peter, it's amazing to me that the disciples actually come to believe. The disciples in the text tells us that actually many in Jerusalem through this come to believe. You see, Jesus is received by those who see the sign and keep going. So we talked about this when we talked about the water being turned into wine, not to stop at the sign. Do you remember that? We, you can't stop at a sign. A sign is there to point you to something. You don't stop. I mean, unless it's a stop sign, then you stop at the sign. But if it's any other kind of sign, you don't stop at the sign. You, 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 you use the sign to get you to where you're going. You don't, you don't drive around, come on, in Florida and see Disney World sign exit and stop at that exit and go, look, I made it to Disney World. But you keep going and you get to Disney World. See, we, we, we talked about it in the context of when the sign is miraculous and amazing and ah, that kind of sign. When it's water into wine, when it's healing, when it's, when it's those kind of things, it's, 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 I think it's easier for us to understand that we have to keep going. Right, like when you see something miraculous. I once saw a thyroid grow back. So how do, how do you know thyroid? Because it's in your neck. Literally, the guy was praying for this lady. I was on a worship team at a healing event. The guy was praying for this lady, and her neck started to glow like she swallowed a maglite. Went to the doctor that day. Her thyroid was back. Amazing. God does really weird stuff. It's easy to go, well, don't stop there. Make sure you give honor and glory to Jesus, right? We, we, we get that. But when the sign hurts, the same rule applies. When, when the thyroid doesn't grow back, you don't stop at the sign, you keep going. He's trying to show you his goodness. He's trying to show you his goodness. For those that were able to see past it, the disciples, these in Jerusalem, they were able to see him. They were able to receive the word as a seed, like the scripture says, and it birthed the fruit of belief in them. Many believed the sign had a purpose. And Jesus' goal, please, please, please hear me. Jesus' goal, his goal was not to offend them. His goal was to liberate them. And for those able to get past the whip and past the destruction, 
they were able to see what was really going on. And I think the same thing is true for us. Can we get past it? Can we get past it? Not, 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 I'm not talking about psychology here. Can you process through it and understand the dynamics of life? No, I'm saying, can, can, can you not stop at the pain? But can you see the one who has purposed the pain for, listen, for your good and his glory? Your good and his glory. When you lose the job, it's for your good and his glory. And that's super, super easy for me to stand up here and say, and really hard to walk through. But it does not diminish. The ease of which I can say it and the difficulty of which it is to walk through does not diminish the reality that you need to walk through it. And the truth that God has good hidden there. Because he's good, because he's better than us. Amen? Just so I touch on it, just so you don't think I'm ignoring it, I read the last part of chapter two here, this whole idea that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew people. We're gonna deal with that predominantly next week as we look into chapter three. That's right, we're all the way in chapter three. You know, sometimes I think when you guys clap that we're getting through this so fast, I think you want me to be done quicker. But, but ultimately, let me say this. This, this is why I, I read it in the context of this marriage, or this, this message is why I bring it up. Because Jesus, in his love, hear me please, Jesus, in his love and in his goodness, we talked about this, has made a place for us in his purpose. Amen? But this verse tells me something very, very, very clear. He in no way is dependent upon you to fulfill that purpose. He is lovingly inviting you to be a part of the process but kick against it long enough and he'll just fulfill the process. Because he doesn't need us. We gotta get that. He, he doesn't need us. He, Jesus doesn't need you. Why? Because he's God. And if, we're, if God were to need something, he would instantaneously cease to be God. He doesn't need you. But in his love and in his grace and in his goodness, he makes room for you. The Bible tells us that he is fulfilling a purpose for which he set before the foundations of the world. Do you know what else it tells us? That he predestined you at that same time to be a part of that purpose. You are not a, a late write-in to the story of God. You were planned from the beginning to be a part of the story of God. And if the word predestination bothers you, it's because you don't like theology. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. I'm gonna call the worship team to come back up. I really believe today that God wants to heal some people's eyes. Are your eyes evil because I'm good? The Greek word there for eye is actually the, the mind's ability to perceive and process. To, to make it sound super new agey, it's the eye of your mind. your mental perception evil? Are you seeing the, the, the affairs of life in an evil way because of the way God is revealing his goodness? I think God wants to heal some people's eyes this morning. 
I, I believe this with every fiber of my being. He, he will heal your eyes before he fixes the circumstances. 100% of the time, because he's good. Because if he changed the circumstances, listen to me, if he changed the circumstances but left you blind, would that be good? It would certainly be more enjoyable. But, it, but he's good. Always and forever immutably good. The only thing he can be is good. The only thing that he is capable of is good. The only thing that he is willing to offer you is good. The only thing you're going to find in him is good. The only way to know him is to encounter his goodness. to justify the, the, the stop. I know what it's like to be done asking and have verses to prove that you don't have to ask anymore. But deep down inside, you know the reason you're not, not willing to ask anymore is it hurts too bad when nothing happens. I know, but he's good. He's good. He is working a purpose that he set before the foundations of the earth and in his love and in his grace and yes, in his mercy, he wrote a place into that story for you and me to walk through. And the role you might be playing right now might not be an easy one, but listen, if he's good, then the role is good. And he is honoring you by allowing you to be a part of that journey. We're gonna move into our response going to respond like we do. We're going to take communion. We're going to sing. Later, we're going to give. But right now, before you rush to do all of that good stuff, I want you to just stop and ask the Lord, is there evil in your eye? Is there evil, Lord? Is there evil in my eye? Am I seeing things incorrectly? Am I perceiving your goodness in the wrong lens? God, am I missing what you're doing because I'm so, I'm, I'm so, I'm so unable, incapable of receiving your love that I'm questioning your goodness. If you're here and you're questioning the goodness of God, I think he wants to heal your perception. I think he, I literally, the sense I have is he wants to give you new eyes new eyes to see his goodness. And so I'm going to encourage you before you rush to things to just take some time with you and Jesus and see his goodness. Allow him to heal your eyes, to soften your heart. If you are, are, are in a place where you would desire this, we'll have a ministry team that'll be over in this part of the room, kind of back there, tucked away to give you some privacy. If you want somebody to pray with you and to believe God with you for those new eyes, we would love that opportunity. We would love that, that, that privilege to be able to do that. We got people that love and find it an honor and a privilege to stand and pray with you. We'll partake in communion. 
communion is set aside according to the scriptures for those who have put their faith in Jesus. For those who have repented and believed the gospel, that means those who have admitted and abandoned the sinfulness in their life and are in, in every way embracing Jesus to the best of their abilities, to the fullness of their capacity. And, and the Bible says that that is who communion is for, those who are doing that. Not perfect people, not people who've gone through a class, not people who know the secret handshake or the magic words, but just people who are trusting Jesus. So, so if you're here and, you, and you're trusting Christ with your, with your life, this sign of eternity and the other, then we would welcome you to partake in communion with us. We take by a method known as antiquation, where we take a piece of bread or, or gluten-free wafer and we dip it in the juice. We do have a station all the way at the end here that's completely gluten-free for those who need it. However, there are wafers with no gluten in every station. If you have not put your faith in Christ yet, we're not asking you to pretend like you have and come up here and take communion. You can just wait where you are. That's absolutely fine. No one's gonna point you out or make you feel uncomfortable. But let me pray for us and let's respond to the Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are you are in the business of eye exchange. You're in the exchange business. You give beauty for ashes. You give new thinking for corrupt thinking. You give strength for fear. And you make us glorious in you. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would, you would do that work of exchange this morning. Where we have seen evil in your goodness, God, that you would just turn that and help us see. I pray for elevation for some people. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. I pray for some elevation for some people. Some of us have gotten too into the weeds and they just need to be elevated. Would you just lift them up? Would you, would you do like you do and, and, and just step down? Just pull them out of the mud and the muck and the mire. They hear you calling them to a new place and all they can see is the mud they're stuck in. Would you lift them up? them see from a higher, a better vantage point. God, we repent from seeing too low. God, we repent of not seeing the way you see, of not going to you. God, we repent of being offended when you don't behave the way we expect you to. God, we repent of being angry with you because you disappointed us. God, we repent because you didn't deliver the way we wanted you to deliver. We repent of thinking of you as a delivery person instead of as a deliverer. Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way. Give us eyes to see in Jesus' name. Church, let's respond to the Lord.